What's up, guys? Welcome back. SGR84 here as we're covering the Denver Broncos and wrapping up the AFC West. I'm excited to talk about this team. You know, I said at the beginning of this AFC West series, I didn't really have a strong pick for the division. And, you know, I'm still not really going to have much action on this division. But right now, um, I'm leaning more heavily towards the Broncos as a team that I really believe in. I'm rising on the Chargers as well. Um, the Chiefs, I think, will still be relevant. I'm sinking on the Raiders. But this Broncos team has a chance to be really good this year, I think. Um, there's a lot of uh, a lot of attention being paid to this Broncos team right now as we're in training camp. I'm recording this Tuesday, August 10th. And, uh, yeah, recently Russell Wilson's been all over the Internet. Of course, we've all caught on to the let's ride trend, and I am already sick of it, um, but I get it. People got to do what they got to do to get their clicks and their engagements. Um, Russ is an interesting guy. You know, earlier in this offseason, I really felt like um, the whole Russ to Denver move kind of got swept under the rug in comparison to a lot of the other offseason headlines. It was like Russell Wilson, you know, a future Hall of Fame quarterback, just switch teams and change conferences after a decade with the Seahawks and we just kind of all accepted it as fact um rather quickly and and it's like now kind of the whole situation is catching up to the rest of the world and people are like oh shit the Broncos have Russell Wilson like this could be a very different situation and I I think it will be I think it's a total game changer for this franchise um, last year, before we dive too into, I mean, they went seven and ten last year, and people don't really realize they were seven and six with Teddy Bridgewater as the quarterback. They went zero and four with Drew Locke. Drew Locke's not good at football, in case you guys haven't realized it yet. I was a believer early in the career of Drew Locke. I will admit, <laughs> the first ever episode of SGR way back in the day, I was touting Drew Locke quite a bit. And that did not work out. But, you know, I've been in on this Denver team for the last two or three years, really, uh, due to the investments they've made on the offensive side of the ball and the defense being really solid. It just hasn't worked out because the QB play hasn't been there. And I think Russ um, changes a lot of things for this team. So let's talk about it. I mentioned 7-6 and six last year with Bridgewater. Those were their only wins. They went 7-10 and 10 on the season, 4th in the division, 13th overall in the AFC last year. They covered 8-9 eight and, eight and nine against the spread last year, 47%. Not great. Obviously, headline for this team, I've gone over it, upgrade at QB. Um, the offense last year, not good. 23rd in points per game, 19.7. 19th in yards per game, 330.5. The defense was great. Third in points per game, 18.9, and eighth in yards per game, 326.1. Turnover margin, only 15th plus one. So, you know, in points and yards, uh, top five to top 10 defense, but not capitalizing on turnover rates because the quarterback play was, again, pretty poor. Um, so it's interesting, a lot of turnover, not only do uh, they get a massive upgraded quarterback, there's a new coaching staff in town and they go from being a defensive-led um, team last year under Vic Fagio, Fa uh, Fangio, excuse me, uh, to um, an offensive-minded head coach and a guy a little bit younger than Fangio. Hopefully, a little bit more modern approach, uh, more 
updated offensive concepts and a massive upgrade in terms of offensive system, I think, than what Russ was playing in last year in Seattle. You know, this is almost kind of a halfway of a Seattle preview as well. I have to acknowledge, I mean, Russ is... When you think of the Seahawks, you think of Russell Wilson, and he's on the Broncos now. So, you know, there's kind of a ripple domino effect of how this Denver team is going to look and how that compares to, you know, the reality of Russell Wilson's last 10 years and, and you know, the offense that he was in in the totally different situation over in Seattle. So we got to talk about it. The new head coach for this team is Nathaniel Hackett. And I mentioned he's a former offensive coordinator through his time in the NFL. I wrote down a bunch of shit, and you guys don't need to know about his time in college football back in 2003. Um, but he's been bouncing around between college football and the NFL since 2003. More notably, he was on the Buffalo offensive staff in 2013, um, joined Jacksonville in 2015 as the QB coach. <clears throat> Two years later, was upgraded to the offensive coordinator in Jacksonville. Uh, so he was on the Jags offensive coaching staff from 2015 to 2018. Um, and those, I'll mention, were the most productive years in Blake Bortles' short run in the NFL. I want to I put this in perspective for you guys. Nathaniel Hackett in 2015, in his first year as the quarterback coach in Jacksonville, got Blake Bortles to 4,400 passing yards and 35 passing touchdowns. Blake Bortles. This guy got three solid years out of Blake Bortles in Jacksonville before the wheels fell off. <clears throat> that was just kind of bound to happen anyways. You're down in a toxic environment to begin with. Then he goes over to Green Bay for the last two years, and he's the offensive coordinator for the best quarterback on the planet and uh, goes and gets Aaron Rodgers two straight MVPs. I'm not saying Hackett got him those MVPs. Rodgers is the man. What I'm saying is, I mean, the last eight years this is one of the more successful offensive coordinators in the nfl and so i think he's got a shot to succeed in denver i'm not saying that this guy is we just need to automatically assume he's going to be a great head coach there's a lot that goes into being a head coach versus just being a play caller or an oc um leadership of men you know kind of that ceo approach there's a lot that goes into it we know this um, but I think in terms of the production of this offense, uh, with the addition of Russell Wilson and an upgraded scheme, um, 23rd in points per game and 19th in yards per game, this team, you know, top 10 in offense. Just I think we can assume it. I really see this team being actually a little bit more. We're going to flip the script a little bit more. It's going to be more led by the offense this year rather than the defense. I, I don't think the defense is terrible. Um, on paper, relatively the same unit. They lost a couple guys in the secondary that we will talk about, um, but they could be solid. I don't know if they finish, you know, top five again, maybe some regression there. But if this defense stays even top 10 to top 15 and you get Russell Wilson and get that offensive boost, I mean, I really think this team can be good. It's, this is going to be a pretty optimistically toned episode. I've taken the Broncos. I've, I've, I've been a Broncos guy for the last three years, like I've said. And I, I was sitting here like, man, do I buy into the Russell Wilson hype? Like, is this enough to get them over the hump? I think it is. I have to plant my flag. I'm not trying. I don't want to have take lock. I don't want this to be like a three-year Broncos just waste of my life. Because uh, the first two have not worked out. But again, I really think that if you add a quarterback to this roster, it's going to be good. Um, coaching staff under Nathaniel Hackett is offensive coordinator Justin Outen. Um, t 
fuck if I know anything about this guy. Uh, Atlanta Falcons staff in 2016 to 2018. So timeline, uh, Shanahan's there the first year in 2016, and then he sticks around. Um, Green Bay tight ends coach from 2019 to 2021. So he's there with Nathaniel Hackett. He's there with uh, what's-his-face Matt LaFleur over there in Green Bay. So you could see, you know, this guy potentially, you know, a little bit of influence from the Shanahan and LaFleur systems and then some continuity with Nathaniel Hackett there. Hackett will most likely call plays, I would assume. And then defensive coordinator, I don't know shit about this guy, but his name is Ajiro Averro. Um, so we'll get to know him this year. He was a college football coach in 0506. He was Tampa Bay Buccaneers defensive assistant from 07 to 09, back in college football for a year. Then on the 49ers defensive staff from 2011 to 2015, uh, Green Bay in 2016, and then the Rams from 2017 to 2021. I believe all of those positions were in the defensive backfield or defensive assistant um, category. So we'll see. Uh, can't really tell you, um, but you know, this defense has uh, strong personnel and, you know, him being a, a defensive backs, uh, coach in background, I mean, this team already has a really strong secondary. Um, so, you know, we'll see, I'm not going to ramble. I don't know much. Uh, let's talk personnel for this team. And like, that's a, I guess a pretty smooth transition. I'll pat myself on the back. I mean, I mentioned that they lost a couple of defensive backs, uh, a little bit of depth in that secondary. So Ajiro is going to have to work with a few new faces there. But um, the two main losses that I'm talking about, cornerback Kyle Fuller, we mentioned him recently. Um, he uh, he went and left. I forgot where he went because I'm doing so many episodes here, guys. Um, and then cornerback Bryce Callahan also left. One of the better, more productive slot corners over the last few years. So they're left with Ronald Darby and Patrick Sertan II in the defensive uh, backfield. They This is a team that implements three safeties. I've mentioned some teams are doing that a little bit more often right now. I've mentioned uh, Los Angeles, the Chargers on yesterday's episode. They're three safeties deep, and it's I, I love it. I wish Philly would stack up at the safety position a little bit more because I think it gives you so much more versatility to mix up packages and um, so they're, they're relatively deep in the defensive backfield. Again, Ronald Darby, Patrick Sertan Jr., Kawan Williams are the three corners. And then Kareem Jackson, Justin Simmons, and Caden Stearns are the, uh, the safeties. Caden Stearns comes in in that dime package. Um, so, yeah, they lose Kyle Fuller and Bryce Callahan. They still have some guys there, but those are big losses. Um, as far as other losses on this team, uh, linebacker Kenny Young, defensive end Steven, Steven Weatherly, uh, quarter, uh, cornerback Michael Ford, cornerback Nate Harrison. These are just depth guys. Linebacker Micah Kaiser, uh, wide receiver Deshaun Hamilton, and Teddy B, Teddy Bridgewater I, I mentioned. He is backing up Tua currently down in Miami. So I'm happy that Teddy Bridgewater's got a career uh, in the NFL. Um, he, unfortunately, I mean, he just could have been so much more. He kind of got derailed with that whole knee injury, but it's good to see him being able to rehab and get that knee healthy because it was talked about a potential career ender. Um, yeah, again, key losses, you know, in this portion, I might as well talk about the Russell Wilson trade and just get that under the way because 
as we're talking about the losses and the additions, Russell Wilson, obviously the main addition, and they did move a couple of, uh, of players, player assets in that trade as well. So let's just do the Russell Wilson trade details right now. Uh, the Broncos got Russell Wilson and a 2022 fourth round pick. And what they gave up, quite a few lists. So let's do the picks first. A 2022 first, second, and fifth. And then a 2023 first and second. They also gave up defensive tackle Shelby Harris, corner, quarterback Drew Locke, and tight end Noah Fant. I was surprised to see this team move on from Noah Fant. He's one of, I've been a big Fant guy. He's part of the reason I've been a believer in this Broncos team is because I love the offensive pieces that they have here. And we've alluded to it a few times. This team really has invested a lot in the offensive skill positions over recent years. Um, it's part of the reason I think Russ is set up for a lot of success here. Uh, Fant is a piece I did not see them uh, losing, but Fant is a former first round pick. Uh, back in 2018, didn't really work out, some injuries, some inconsistencies, but this team is still absolutely stacked on offense, and I will just, I'll go into this right now, I've been debating it in my head, let's do this. So they've really invested a lot in the offensive uh, offensive skill positions over the last uh, three, four years or so. Cortland Sutton is a 2018 second-round pick, 40th overall pick, who they've already signed to an extension of four years, 68 mil, 34 guaranteed. So a lot of investment there. Jerry Judy, 2020, first-round pick, 15th overall. K.J. Hamler, a wide receiver, second-round pick in 2020, 46 overall. Javante Williams was a second-round pick in 2021, 35th overall, and they traded up to get him. The tight end, they have two decent investments there. Albert Okwegbunam, 2020 fourth-round pick. Although he's only a fourth-round pick, uh, the guy is 6'5", 260, and ran a 4'4", 940. He was uh, pretty much charted as the most athletic, high-upside prospect in the 2020 draft at tight end. Um, just very raw and inexperienced, so he slipped to the fourth round. And then Greg Dolchich, they drafted another tight end this year in the third round, 80th overall. Um, so that's two tight ends over the last couple of years, a lot, three receivers, a running back. They have a lot of talent on this offense. Noah Fant was another one as a, uh, I believe 2019 first round pick. And, um, again, it just goes into the optimism I have that there is plenty of talent here for Russ to work with on offense. So those were the Russ details. I did a little sidebar into the offensive, uh, support cast here because I just couldn't hold off on that any longer. Um, let's get back to free agency and the personnel, uh, key additions this off season, aside from Russell Wilson, defensive end, Randy Gregory comes over to help that pass rush. Uh, Dallas thought they had extended him and then he pulled the uno reverse, came over to Denver. Love it. Suck it. Dallas, uh, defensive tackle DJ Jones came over, uh, cornerback Kawan Williams, um, offensive guard Billy Turner, offensive guard Tom Compton, and linebacker Alex Singleton came over. Singleton, <laughs> he just makes me laugh. Memories of him as an eagle. Um, he's a liability in pass coverage, so let's hope he's not on the field too much. I'll say that the, the linebacking core, very similar to the Chargers. If you look at how these two teams are set up really from a roster standpoint, very similar. A lot of uh, strength in the offensive weapons, the defensive backs, and the pass rush, 
the linebacking core and maybe the D-line, little uh, suspect. And that's I think that's kind of the new formula, a lot of teams building that way. We kind of saw the Indianapolis Colts through Peyton's time take that. Just let's load the offense up and let's make sure we can rush the passer. So interesting the way that these teams are being built here out in the uh, – the AFC West. That's really how the Raiders are built too. Now that and the Chiefs, you know what it is? The Chiefs were built like that first, and then everybody else said we got to build like that too to try and beat the Chiefs. Every all these teams are the same in this division, and that's why it's so fucking hard to pick a winner. Ugh. So those were the additions here this off season. The re-signs. Uh, they re- they brought back four guys. Melvin Gordon got brought back to this team and pissed off about every fantasy football player on the planet because this is a backfield from a rushing standpoint that was super productive last year. But the issue was they were splitting between two guys, Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon. And every single Javante Williams believer in fantasy football was praying that this offseason when Gordon was a free agent, he would go leave and it would be Javante's backfield. And that did not happen. Some men just want to watch the world burn. And that's Melvin Gordon this offseason. So he's still on this Denver offense and he will be an issue for fantasy football yet again. Uh, Strong safety Kareem Jackson got extended. Tight end Eric Sobert or Schobert. Uh, Defensive tackle Deshaun Williams. All the uh, re-signed contracts this offseason. Let's talk about the draft. Didn't have a first-round pick because they went and got Russell Wilson. I'd say that makes up for it. Round two, outside linebacker Nick Bonito out of Oklahoma. This is a guy I'm interested in him. Early reports out of camp. He's looking good. Pass rushing outside linebacker edge setter. Uh, who um, I heard a lot of good things about in terms of athletic profile in the draft process. Round three, tight end Greg Dolchich. We talked about him, tight end out of UCLA. Early in the draft process, a lot of people were kind of sucking off Dolchich, calling him the best tight end in this draft, and I didn't really see it. Uh, He's really more of just a pass catcher and not that physical in the blocking game, in my opinion. And To be honest, for a pass catcher, his athleticism didn't really overwhelm me either. I think he's just kind of a big slot receiver, to be honest, and he's kind of a tweener. Maybe that makes him an outstanding mismatch for linebackers. Um, Maybe that kind of means he's in in that gray in-between space of receiver and tight end where... I don't know. He's kind of a tough player for me to project. I think that Albert Okwegbunam easily has the inside track to be the tight end one here. He's bigger. He's more physical. Dolchich being 6'3 versus Alberto being uh, 6'5 and about 30 pounds heavier. Better blocker, more physical. Faster, too. Okwegbunam uh, ran a 4'4940 when Greg Dolchich ran a 4'6'8 or some shit like that. So I'm not saying Greg Dolchich is a bad player, but I thought he was being overdraft in the over hyped in the draft process people were calling him potentially an early second round pick some people were saying he could be the tight end one off the board ends up slipping to the third round third tight end drafted overall my favorite tight end from this draft class was Jelani Woods he ended up going second round to the Colts uh Trey McBride was the first tight end drafted to the Cardinals I know a lot of people were really high on Trey McBride in the draft process as well um I really like Jelani Woods for the Colts, and I'm excited to talk about him and that team when we get there. But let's let's not get off the off the rails too much. Round four to round out the 
uh, draft recap here. Cornerback Damari Mathis, he is at that second tier on the depth chart right there with Kwan Williams uh, kind of competing for that cornerback three spot behind Sertan and Darby. Can I just say real quick, Patrick Sertan II is so fucking good. The guy is so good. Man, uh, going into his second year, former first-round pick, top 10 pick out of Alabama, the guy had an incredible rookie year. I don't want to waste too much time, but I was really in on Sertan and J.C. Horn, the corner that went to the Panthers last year. I thought both had a p uh, potential to be like generational shutdown corners. J.C. Horn, a little bit less success last year. Sertan really thrived right away, but uh, Horn not dead in the water. We'll look out for him during our Panthers preview. And then the last uh, draft pick that I will mention, because it is an incredibly difficult name to say, and I like to put myself through this torture defensive end. Oh, man, I didn't prep for this at all. Ioma Awuzariki. Sorry about that, guys. Ioma Awuzariki. We'll get that down. So he's a defensive end out of uh, Iowa State University to round out the draft recap. That's it. Uh, Personnel-wise, I mean... I think losing Kyle Fuller and Bryce Callahan is a loss. I think they upgraded the pass rush with Randy Gregory and Nick Bonito. I think the defensive line got stronger with DJ Jones. Um, I'm not mad at what this team done from a uh, did. Excuse me, from a football standpoint, you know, Melvin Gordon coming back is good for this football team. It's gonna piss people off for fantasy. Uh, if you haven't made the connection yet, Melvin Gordon played with Russell Wilson in college at University of Wisconsin. Not many people are talking about that right now, but for all you guys hoping that Gordon's just there to be a backup and that this is Javante season, I hope that you will listen to this and pump the brakes a little bit on that. I think Javante's so talented, but Gordon's still on this team, and he's going to be involved in the game plans. That's, uh, that's you know, we'll dive more into it for fantasy. Let's get into the schedule breakdown. Let's get into the futures and the uh, betting propositions for this team. They have the easiest schedule in the division, which I like. It gives me a lot more optimism. They have some kind of layups on this schedule that some of the other teams in the division don't. Um, their first preseason game is uh, this Saturday, by the way, 9 p.m. Eastern against Dallas. So if you guys feel like watching that, the Broncos play this Saturday. Uh, then they have the Bills and the Vikings to wrap up preseason. We start the regular season at Seattle. We get the Russell Wilson return to Seattle week one on Monday Night Football. I cannot wait. I cannot wait. Give me all four quarters of that right now. So... I'm assuming the Broncos rolled through with Seattle there. It's going to be interesting. Seattle's going to have a chip on their shoulder in that game, but so will Russ. And the Broncos are clearly better than the Seahawks. Uh, you know, as long as Russ doesn't shit his pants versus that home crowd, which I don't see happening. Let's call that a win. Um, Texans week two, 49ers, Raiders, Colts, uh, Chargers, Jets, Jags. So that already not a murderer's row right there. I mean, you got the Seahawks, Texans, Jets, and Jags all on the first half of your schedule. There's a real potential for this team to get out of out to a hot start. I think that the 49ers getting them early in the season is going to be advantageous as well because there's a possibility for growing pains with Trey Lance. 
the thought kind of and some of the reports I'm hearing out of training camp, although Trey has been making some plays and the highlights have been ridiculous on social media, um, there is some concern to where it just might be a thing where he grows over the course of the season and maybe catching San Fran earlier is, is advantageous. Just a thought. Um, let's keep going. So like I said, Chargers, Jets, Jags. Then they get the Titans, Raiders, Panthers, uh, Ravens, Chiefs, Cardinals, Rams, Chiefs, Chargers. So those last six games, not easy. I will give you that. But I think that with the soft schedule, again, I mean, I think they're better than the Raiders twice. I don't know if they win both games, but they're better. Uh, they could be better than Tennessee this year with them losing some pieces. And then you got Carolina, the Jags, the Jets, the Texans, the Seahawks. This team has the ability... Uh, with their schedule to stack wins early in the season. And then basically if they just finish, you know, with a, like a three and three run, they could even go possibly two and four over those last six weeks and still cruise into the playoffs um, if they're able to take advantage of the soft opening. So it's the 17th ranked schedule while all other teams in this division are in the back uh, quarter to third of the, uh, the um, league. Excuse me. Their bye week is week nine. The over-under for wins at this team is 10.5 right now. The over's plus 135. The under's minus 160. I was not able to shop around and see if there's any other prices. If you can get a 10, I think I'm comfortable taking this team over 10 wins. I don't like the 10.5 here, um, but I think there's a possibility for this team to win 11 or 12. Again, that last six weeks, Ravens, Chiefs, Cardinals... Rams, Chiefs, Chargers, that's difficult as fuck. I will give you that. Uh, Cardinals, I'm not that worried about this year, honestly. I, I, I'm not getting good vibes on them right now, to be honest. We can dive into that when, they, when we do them, but I feel good about this team. I've said it on almost every episode. I won't have that much action in this division. Um, the, the Broncos are plus 260 to win the division. And I do think that that's got some value on it because again, I think this roster is just as good as any of the other ones in this division. Russell Wilson is just an absolute game changer for me. And I, it, there's a possibility that people are still sleeping on this team a little bit because of the lack of success the last two years. And they don't, Russ is coming off a down year. I mean, last year he only played 14 games, had midseason finger surgery, didn't really play at his highest level coming off that surgery. So I understand why there's maybe a little bit of a lack of confidence on this team. But I do think they can be dangerous. Conference odds, plus 850. And Super Bowl, plus 1,700. I think it's fair. I could see, you know, 17-1 to 1 for this team to go to the Super Bowl. It's not unrealistic. It's a decent long shot. But it's also a team that I think... You know, any of these AFC West teams, I've said it before, you just got to get into the dance. You got to get into the tournament, and then you any of these teams have the ability to go on a, on a run, so it's it's not that crazy. Their odds to make the playoffs, yes, minus 142, no, plus 125. I mean, you can see, you know, based on the odds for all this stuff, the sports books are optimistic that this team will have success and that the Russell Wilson experiment even if you want to call it that will work out so i think i'm going to side with the sports books and i'm going to stay optimistic about this team um i just don't see how russell wilson doesn't provide a massive upgrade to a franchise that's been you know really struggling with guys like trevor simeon and 
you know, go all the way back to Brock Osweiler and Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Locke and all these fucking schmucks, like, you finally get it. Russ is a Hall of Famer, so let's not ramble too much about it. I'm beating a dead horse. You guys get it. Let's talk about the fantasy prospects, and I'm very interested in this offense. I really am. Um, I'll tell you right now, Russ has the fifth easiest schedule for quarterbacks in fantasy this year, and the wide receivers have the number one easiest schedule. I really think that the heartbeat of this offense will be through the passing game with a new offensive system. This is also, and I mentioned how we have to compare this to the situation that Russ was in in Seattle. Pete Carroll is a fucking dipshit when it comes to offensive football. We've been talking for, what, four years now about let Russ cook? Take the goddamn handcuffs off of Russ, let him spread it out, and use guys like Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf like they should be used. Stop fucking running Chris Carson into a a wall of five linemen fucking three times in a row on first down, like, over and over again. It it was really frustrating. Russ is in a situation now, again, offensive-minded head coach and a lot of weapons. Uh, The offensive line is ranked 16th, so mediocre. I think that's fine. Obviously, you want the O-line to be the best, and I'm a big O-line guy, but with all the weapons, I mean, Russ is also very mobile. They don't need elite O-line production, um, as much as I hate saying that. Uh, Middle of the pack is fine. Um, So, Russell Wilson... Uh, being drafted, we're going to discount. Like, I'll tell you guys, I'm in on Russ for a QB. I've mentioned how you have to pay up this year for a lot of guys that I'm not willing to do. Like, especially the top five or so that are going in the, the top five rounds when you're with your Mahomeses, your Lamar, your Herberts, and whatnots. Even Burrow. Burrow Joe Burrow's going ahead of Russell Wilson. It doesn't make any sense to me. Russ has been so consistent throughout his career. Um, last year finished QB 16 in only 14 games and 13 in points per game with a broken finger and a bad offense. He's being drafted in the eighth or ninth round this year, quarterback nine. And he's just always so good and so consistent. Listen, let's look at his passing numbers. And again, I mentioned Seattle, not really the best situation for massive passing volume, Russell Wilson has still put up fucking 12 straight years of over 20 touchdowns, and he's only got two seasons where he goes beneath 25. He's got one, two, three, four, five pass, uh, years of over 30 touchdowns. And again, this pass, he doesn't throw for more than 4,000 yards, but he's gotten up to 35, 40 touchdowns multiple times. Last year, again, broken finger 14 games. 25 touchdowns, 6 interceptions. The guy's just too fucking good. So for fantasy, he's in maybe the best situation he's ever been in in his career with these weapons. I'm telling you. Um, Sutton's awesome. Judy is an elite route runner. KJ Hamler, if you don't know about him, is a he, if he stays healthy, he's an elite deep threat in the NFL. He was getting to Sean Jackson comps out of Penn State in 2019 before he got injured. So, um, yeah. I'm in on this team. I'm in on the offense. Russ going 82nd overall, QB 9. Went 50th overall as the QB 7 in a worse offense last year. Finished 16th, played 14 games, 13th in points per game. Don't really care. Fifth easiest schedule this year. Um, The consistency metric's not good. Again, I just think it's such a different situation, and he wasn't healthy last year that I'm throwing them out. But only finished top 6, 7.1% of his games, 28th ranked. Uh, top 12 finished 50%, 13th ranked, uh, but stood outside of the top 24, 21% of the time. So 
it is what it is. Like I said, totally new situation. I just don't care. I'm in on Russ at his draft position as the ninth QB. I think he's got top five upside. I really do. People forget this guy can run, too. He, he could sneak in some rushing touchdowns for you. You know, I've heard, you know, I've seen these lists come out all offseason. Rank your top quarterbacks. Like, who's your top five? And everybody wants to put Matt Stafford and Joe Burrow ahead of Russell Wilson now just because of what happened last year. Like, do you guys not remember what has happened for the entire last decade? I just think people are forgetting. Uh, the running back situation, I don't love. I'm definitely not in on Javante Williams. He's just being drafted too high. People are forgetting that Melvin Gordon's still here. People are drafting him like Melvin Gordon left this offseason and he didn't. Melvin Gordon, I love drafting this year because same fucking reason. People think Javante is the only guy in town and Melvin Gordon could still see a 50-50 timeshare. He was actually the better running back last year on this team in real life and fantasy in almost all metrics. He outscored Javante Williams in touchdowns 8-4 to last season, I believe, if I'm remembering that correctly. Yep, 8-4. to um, Melvin Gordon had 918 on the ground, Javante 903. They both had 203 attempts evenly, which is kind of fucking crazy that they, it was literally a 50-50, but Melvin used more around the goal line last year. I, you know, I don't know if that changes necessarily. I mentioned Melvin was a college teammate with Russell Wilson. I don't really see them just forgetting that this guy exists. They went out of their way to bring him back this offseason. It is a cheap deal. But there's no reason to expect him to just disappear from this offensive game plan. I also think that the running backs in general will not see 400 carries this year. They had to run the ball 400 times because Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater were their quarterbacks. This is a totally new offensive staff, totally new scheme, totally different situation for everybody on this offense this year. Everything is different. So I really just want to take what we've seen over the last three years or so from Denver and just throw it in the fucking trash and forget about it because the schedule's good. The pieces are here. The talent is here. The QB is finally here and the coach is finally willing to, you know how many times Russell Wilson has had a coach willing to call motion pre-snap motion was not a thing in Seattle. Pete Carroll wants to run Chris Carson into a cloud of dust every fucking play. It makes no sense. Um, <laughs> things are going to be different here. So, again, I don't think that these running backs combined for 400 carries and 1,800 rushing yards this year. There's just no way they see that kind of volume in this offense. This is the rush show. So, Javante Williams being drafted 24th overall as the RB13 is insane to me, considering... Rushing volume is going to go down, and he's still splitting time with Melvin Gordon. Melvin Gordon, in comparison, being drafted 101, running back 36. No way Melvin Gordon finishes that low. So these guys are both, it's just, we're on two opposite ends of the spectrum with these guys, and it really needs to be looked at more as a 50-50, in my opinion. I'm willing to be wrong about Javante Williams this year. So Javante, last year being drafted 61st overall as the RB27, you see, he took a massive leap in ADP. Again, people assuming that Melvin's just not a factor anymore. He finished the RB17 last year, again, in a situation where he was in a uh, higher volume rushing offense with more opportunity, and he's being drafted four spots ahead of that this year. Uh, played a full season, 17 games played. Running back 26 in points per game, guys. Melvin Gordon running back 24 in points per game, 
played one game less, finished RB21 on the season. So this team provided two essentially top 20 running backs for fantasy. They're not going to do that again. And Javante's not going to see all that volume. And Melvin Gordon actually was more efficient last year. So Melvin Gordon being you know going in the 10th round compared to Javante Williams in the 3rd, give me all the Melvin Gordon. Give me all of it. The running backs have the 23rd ranked fantasy strength of schedule this year. Let's talk about consistency for these two guys. And again, Melvin Gordon wins. Uh, Melvin Gordon last year, top 12, uh, 25% of his games. That was 26 best. Javante Williams, top 12, 17.6% of his games, 36 best. The RB2 category, Javante wins this one, 23.5%, 28th ranked RB2. Melvin Gordon, 18.8%, 36th ranked RB2. But when you add those two categories together, we've got Melvin as the long-term winner. 43.8% of the time, a top 24 running back, 28th ranked consistency versus 21.2% top 24 for Williams. That's 34th ranked top 24. So 28th ranked for Gordon, 34 for Williams in terms of top 24 finishes. Uh, Williams with a higher bust rate, as you could tell, outside of the top 36, 35% of the time versus 25% for Melvin. So again, why are we drafting Javante Williams seven rounds ahead of Melvin Gordon? Can someone please explain it to me? Because I'm not doing that. Those are my thoughts on the running back situation. Again, these receivers, ooh, there's a lot of uh, potential here. I think Sutton's going to smash this year. I really do. Now, I'm a big Judy fan. I'm a huge Judy fan, uh, maybe too big of a Judy fan. I went all in on him last year. He was my sixth-round pick in every fantasy draft I was in. Um, I love the talent. I love the college film. If you're just looking for something fun to do to kill time, go and put on Jerry Judy Alabama highlights. Even dip into some Henry Ruggs, too, because they were teammates. Man, just go and look at 2020 Alabama receiving highlights, and holy shit. The receivers that team puts out every year are just elite, and I think Judy has all the potential in the world to... to I, I was ready to call Jerry Judy a top 10 route runner in the NFL last year going into the season. And I saw flashes that week one game he was dominating. He had six catches in uh, one and a half quarters against the Giants in week one last year. And then all of a sudden, terrible ankle injury. I knew right there the season was fucked. I had Jerry Judy over 65 and a half catches as my top prop of the season last year. That failed because he missed a bunch of games due to injury. But I love Judy as a, um, as a talent. Uh, although I think Sutton is the guy here. Considering they're going at the same price in the draft, I'd rather take my shot on Sutton. Sutton's got constant highlights coming out of camp. He's the more physical receiver. He's going to win more jump balls. Russ is not afraid to throw those contested catches. Judy probably used more underneath. Cutton will, or Sutton excuse me, will have a, uh, a larger... Um, fuck, I'm forgetting the stat... More air yards, more air yards, more average depth of target on his uh, receptions and targets. Um, so Sutton going 52 overall wide receiver 20. Judy 54 overall wide receiver 21 this year. They're the same spot, so you got to pick your guy. As much as I want to say Judy, he burned me a little bit last year. And again, for the way that Russell Wilson historically has used his receivers, I think I'm in on Sutton this year. The draft capitals there, and they've already given him an extension where Judy has not gotten the second contract yet. That's a big thing for confidence for me. 
uh, ADP last year, Sutton going 80th overall wide receiver 32, Judy 75 wide receiver 31. So it's again, they're going back to back in drafts. People just continue. It looks like the public consensus is torn on who the wide receiver one is for this team. It's really interesting. I will say that I think Russ has the ability to support two top 20 receivers in fantasy, and it could happen as far as a team that could surprise people in doing that this year. Like people talk about the Bengals and the Cowboys and the Vikings and the Bills maybe being able to, you know, sustain two guys. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, Russell Wilson's done it before with Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. And again, potentially better offense with a better play caller here. Um, what happened last year? Judy played 10 games. Sutton stayed healthy the whole season. Sutton finished wide receiver 44, wide receiver 65 in points per game. Not good. Again, quarterback, quarterback play was absolute trash. And Sutton, um, maybe not 100% healthy last year. He played full 17, but he was coming off an injury the season before. before. Judy, um, I was pissed off because like, it didn't look like he was 100% healthy when he came back last year, and it just never really got back on track. Uh, finished wide receiver 85 in 10 games last year, wide receiver 72 on the season. Judy never finished as a top 12 receiver last year. He finished top 24 once. Outside of that, 80% of his game, so 8 out of 10. Um, just bad. Just bad. 80% outside of the top 36. So not great for Judy. Sutton, on the other hand, a little bit better last year. These numbers are not going to inspire you, but again, I just want to throw all of this out. It's a different situation this year. Sutton, top 12 last year, 17.6% of his 17 games played, 38th ranked consistency. Considering you're working with Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Locke, that's actually kind of good, to be honest. That was also his top 24 finish rate as he never came in as a wide receiver too. So that's the uh, top 24 finish of 68th in consistency. That's not great. He busted outside of the top 36, 76% of his games. Again, I don't care. I really don't. Let's just, if you go, if you want to worry about it, go for it. I'm just here to give you my opinion. I don't give a fuck. Um, I'm in on this offense. Again, easiest fantasy schedule for fantasy points given up to the receiver position for Denver. And they have three guys. I want to talk about KJ for a minute. KJ Hamler is the third receiver on this team. Um, there's not many other guys on the depth chart. I didn't even bring up honorable mentions because there really aren't many. You know, the backup QBs, Brett Ripien. There's a third string running back, Mike Boone. And again, the second tight end is Greg Dolchich. But I'm not a believer in rookie tight ends. And he doesn't look like an elite prospect, like a Kyle Pitts type guy that's going to do something in his rookie year. Albert Okwagbunam is the starting tight end, and we'll talk about him to wrap up this episode. But KJ Hamler is their third receiver, and every time he's been on the field in the NFL, he has shown elite athleticism and speed. He absolutely balled out in the Broncos preseason game last uh, last August against the Vikings. It was actually I, I remember it distinctly because I bet on the Broncos to cover in that spot. Um, Drew Locke really looked good like really looked good and he hit KJ Hamler down the field I think twice early in that first half KJ had like a 75 yard touchdown in the first quarter elite deep threat potential I'm telling you guys he got the Sean Jackson comparisons coming out of college I want to look up his 40 time real quick I forgot to do that but KJ Hamler is a guy that has not been able to stay healthy in his career in two seasons since being drafted in 2020 he's only got 455 receiving yards and three touchdowns Again, it just he hasn't been on the field. But he runs a 4-2-7-40. He's 5'9", 179 pounds out of Penn State. 
again, guys, DJAX comps. And we, we've seen Russell Wilson have success just, you know, extending plays and getting guys to go get open downfield and just outrun the defense. How many times have we seen Tyler Lockett do that? And to be honest, in terms of skill set and just raw athletic profile, K.J. Hamler is the best comparison for Tyler Lockett on this offense. So he's a guy I'm super interested in. I'm not drafting him in fantasy necessarily, but, you know, I think he's going to, if he stays healthy, he's going to be a factor in this offense, and he's going to be scoring like some deep touchdowns this year, where in best ball, I think he's an amazing asset to target with one of your last picks. If you want to grab like that eighth or ninth receiver for your best your best ball bench and stash him, he's going to have a couple 50, 60 yard touchdowns this year. It's going to happen. He's not being drafted in fantasy, 92 receiver off the board. Didn't play last year, got injured in the, or I think he had like five catches last year, got injured real early in the season. Um, but he's somebody to be aware of. Uh, KJ Hamler, insane speed. Um, tight end, I'm not taking this guy. I'm not touching Dolchich or Okwegbunam, um, although I am having fun being able to say Okwegbunam over and over again on this uh, on this episode. Um, he's got the 13th easiest schedule fantasy tight ends. He's being drafted as the 15th tight end. There's some p- potential sleeper uh Again, potential is the only word here. Um, some maybe some sleeper hype, but I just don't really see it. I'm not in love with the opportunity. I think most of this will go through the the receivers. Russ has never really been a guy to sustain much tight end value. Um, going 133rd off your boards uh, wasn't relevant for fantasy last year. Wasn't being drafted. Finished the tight end 29 and 14 games played. Again, he was a backup behind Noah Fant. This is his second year in the NFL. First year as a starter. So we'll see. He finished top six once last year, top 12 once last year. Outside of that, didn't give you much. Nothing to talk about, but again, he's 6'5", he's 260, runs a 4'49", and he's the starting tight end for the Broncos. So maybe learn how to say it, guys. Maybe put some fucking effort in. Do your homework. Just kidding. Um, Yeah, Albert Okwagbanam, know the name. You don't need to know how to say it. I got you. Uh, That's going to do it for the Broncos. I'm excited to see how this division plays out. It's going to be interesting, and I'm getting more optimistic about Denver the closer that we get to the season. Um, Again, you know, preseason games this week, Thursday night, we got two. We got the Giants and Patriots. We got the Ravens and Titans. I've already gotten down on that Ravens money line versus the Titans. Guys, John Harbaugh, if you don't know, the Ravens have won 20 straight uh, preseason games. He hasn't lost a preseason game in over five years. Uh, money lines minus 190 so go for it <laughs> that's gonna be it um, we're gonna do the NFC West next so our next episode is gonna be on the defending Super Bowl champions it's the LA Rams I'm gonna get to tell you guys all about uh, the conspiracy theory that I have in my head that the NFL rigged the Super Bowl to try and grow profits in Los Angeles so hey that'll be fun you guys get to you know hear me sound like a fucking psychopath on tomorrow's episode that's it I'm getting out of here thank you guys for listening Ramble on.